I don't think I have to tell you for you to know that the society that we live in is ill. And just remember that we are part of that society that we live in, right? There uh, is evidence of it everywhere. Um, And while there are lots of moments when good happens, I think the overwhelming thing that we see is the pain and the difficulty and the hardship in the world that surrounds us. Um, It's very telling when someone doing a good deed is so unique that it becomes front page news. Um, It's very sad that that within the church we can be more known for our unkindness than we can for our love for one another. Sin and selfishness permeate this world and we're all stuck and trapped in it, which is why we're called vices. When I think back in time to my teens, mid to late teens, I was a a newer believer and if, if you remember being a newer believer at that point in your life, you are much more excited about, uh, or not excited, much more sensitive to sin, I guess, in your life. And I remember being a young believer, I was, uh, and this advertisement campaign happened back at home for selling ice cream. And uh, this company, Walls, I don't know, remember what they're called over here, but they did this series where I had these ice creams that were called the Deadly Sins. And their catchphrase on every billboard and every shop you went into and all the TV was the deadly sins, give into it. And I remember internally just being like so shocked and horrified that marketers would use this as the encouragement to come and buy their product. It was a very successful campaign. Um, I remember a little bit later, um, as I got a little bit older, You know, there's this thing that happens back at home where there is a pattern of buying old church buildings when the church dies and turning them into a pub or a restaurant uh, and they have these really cool vibes. Um, Well, I I remember being in Edinburgh one day and coming across this new nightclub that had opened up where they'd recently bought a church building. Uh, They turned it into a nightclub which they'd called Sin. And if you can see in the window, it's a smaller picture, it's hard to make out. They've taken in place of the stained glass, they've put artwork in the window of a dark fallen angel descending into the pit of hell. And the windows on the bottom are the the, the fiery flames of hell. And this was the invitation to the world, this church is no longer here, come and indulge in sin. And people loved it and people would line up outside uh, to make their way in here. Blatant ways that the culture around us revels in the brokenness um, of the world. It's not just the people out there that revel in this stuff. Through this whole series, we've looked at all of the different sins and the ways that they're prevalent in us. The ways that we as Christians and as the church can overlook one set of sins and elevate another and in the process uh, let ourselves off the hook with a lot of the things that we do that dishonor God. Um, we are so messed up in the way that we function in the world and in the church. So today we're going to wrap up this series on vices um, and, and just to remind us, what's the definition we've been looking at? A vice is a habit or a character trait that inclines us towards certain types of habits or actions. And so these are the things, again, neuroscience, when you do an activity repeatedly, the electrical current in your brain has to go from one part of your brain to another part of your brain to act. 
Um, and so what happens over time as we give in to the sin and the brokenness in our life, neural pathways form in our brains that are the quickest way from the thought or the feeling to the action that we engage in to get relief. And so we have built over time these pathways in our brain that naturally incline us away from the gospel while we walk in the world claiming to be Christians. Um, And a lot of the time we let them happen. Half the time we don't even know that these things exist. We're blind to our own sin and our brokenness. Quick look at what we've covered so far. Here's a little diagram. We began at the beginning looking at pride, right? Uh, Historically, there are seven deadly sins that are all rooted in pride. And so we began with pride, this thing in us that turns us away from God, that brings at its root all of these sins. And all of the sins up here are the things that, that go further to fuel all of the other brokenness that we walk in. Um, pride lies at the root of all our sin we added fear it's not typically one of the deadly sins but it's one of those things um, that's been so prevalent in culture recently we felt like we needed to address it Um, and just as a little side note if you look at the list up here typically there is one of these things on this list that you struggle with more than others and we all have an area of struggle that is ours. Uh, and I've said, like, really, the top of the list, vainglory and envy, is where I spend most of my time wrestling. And then I think if you look right down at the bottom when we're talking about wrath, I said, I think this is the one that I'm most blind to and the ways that this fuels uh, different things that are going on in my life. And so we're stuck in, in these areas of sin and brokenness. Um, Paul, when he writes to the Galatian church, the part that we're used to talking about is the fruit of the spirit, but right before that he talks about the fruit of our flesh. Let's look at a minute at this. I want you to pay attention to the deadly sin language that is in here. Um, These fruits of our flesh that drive life apart from God. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that's a great description of what we see when we pick up the newspaper. What we see when we jump onto a news website or you you go past the checkout at at a supermarket and you see all of the different uh, magazines that are there and with all of the headings on the front, a good depiction of it. Let's look at it in the message. The message paraphrase uh, can sometimes make this hit home a little bit more. Um, My question will be, where do you see yourself in here? Um, In this paraphrase, it says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided life, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into arrival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Contrast that to what we know of the fruit of the Spirit that we're supposed to be as believers. 
Look at that for a moment and ask yourself the question, which of those adjectives describes me in my flesh as I try to follow Jesus but get it mixed up? Paul, when he's writing to uh, the Ephesian church, this is a letter that goes to all of these churches in Asia Minor, he explains to them, like, what's our job in this process of fighting against this fallen sinful nature? He says that we have to put some things off and put some things on, right? However, it, it is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, all these fruit of the, the sinful nature that we've just read, those things which are corrupted by their deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what's Paul saying to the people? We've got to identify the, the, the brokenness that we're walking in. As we identify that brokenness, we've got to put that stuff off And alongside putting it off, there's a whole bunch of things that we're supposed to put on actively to make us walk in the way of Jesus. How are you doing? Identifying brokenness, shedding that brokenness, and walking in a more Christ-like way. Historically, when you look at the deadly sins, there are the the virtues that go alongside this um, that, that are what we're supposed to put on in place of what we're taking off. So if you look up there, each of the sins has a corresponding um, virtue that we're supposed to have. With pride, it's humility. With vainglory, it's magnanimity. And we're like, what does that mean? It's the virtue. So vainglory is like, I want to make myself great and have all the people in the world celebrate me. Magnanimity is that I have a great heart and mind. It's good in itself. I, I, I don't need platform or applause to be good and kind and loving. It's the way my heart is being. Uh, envy is kindness. Quite often the word used there is charity. Um, but people now say kindness because we've reduced charity to giving a donation to someone when charity really was the word for love for God and for other people. Um, uh, avarice was liberality or generosity in place of sloth we want to pursue diligence in place of wrath we want to pursue patience if you realize you're an impatient person do you realize that impatience is really an expression of an internal anger uh, with gluttony it's temperance or self-control with lust it's chastity it's abstaining from sexual uh, sexuality outside of covenant commitments with fear it's the pursuit of faith But there's a problem, right? We can look at that list and say there's all of this stuff we're supposed to be doing, but all of us know that it isn't that easy. There is a problem. We want to be better. We want to be more patient and kinder and more generous. We don't want to be looking at pornography and hoarding resources. We don't want to be uh, angry with people when they're cutting us off in traffic. We want to be more patient with our kids. We want to be kinder to the generation coming up after us. We want to express forgiveness to people, but it's hard. And so we end up stuck in this place where we desire the virtues that we see on the list, but instead we find ourselves returning to the same patterns again and again. Paul earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, he describes the problem that we're dealing with this way. He says to the people, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world 
and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What's his problem that he's describing? We are stuck in death. Right? The world around us is spiritually dead. The source of life that we need in order to live the kind of life that is filled with joy and love and kindness and patience and self-control, they are cut off from that supply. So all we have is this limited resource of our body and the energy and kindness and love that we can muster up. And we do our best attempt and eventually we run out of resource and we're back to looking the way we always did. We're stuck in death. Alongside that, we... We give in to these powers of darkness. It describes that you're following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that's at work in those who are disobedient, these demonic forces, this satanic enemy of the world that is trying to destroy God's plan. We give our lives over to him and we allow him to rule and so disordered and damaging. The last part of it, we gratify the flesh. We can't help it. I feel hungry, so I've got to eat more than I need. I feel horny, and so I've got to go look at pornography or go hook up with someone. I feel alone, and so I've got to find ways to satisfy these longings right now. We're dead. We've given ourselves over to the powers of darkness, and we're caught up in a system of gratifying the flesh. In that position, there is absolutely no hope. We do not have the capability to address the problem. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul uses a slightly different way of describing the same issue. So he says, you know, you've been rescued from this dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves where there's redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So he says up very clearly, we live in a world that is made up of two kingdoms. One of the kingdoms he calls the dominion of darkness And people in the dominion of darkness are dead and death reigns. Satanic powers have power over the people who live in the dominion of darkness. And then he says, but through Jesus, you are brought out of this dominion of darkness and brought into this other kingdom, the kingdom of the son that he loves, where there's forgiveness and there's redemption. As we know the rest of this, there's empowerment to live differently. It seems really, really obvious. The challenge is we, we, we look in the church and we say, I'm over here. I live in the kingdom of the sun. Look at all those horrible, hideous people over there in the dominion of darkness. Why are they not living like Jesus? Why are the people in the dominion of darkness teaching our kids things that are of the dominion of darkness? Because they're in the dominion of darkness. The challenge is we're not standing here. Most of us are standing like this. Look at me, I'm so holy over here in my kingdom of the sun. And in actual fact, with decisions that we make every day, we're choosing to stick our feet firmly in the dominion of darkness. And then we wonder why life isn't going the way we're expected it to go. We wonder why we're struggling with the same issues that we deal with over and over again. We think in our minds that it's possible to live the Christian life with our feet planted in two separate kingdoms. It's impossible. 
Because what happens is you try your best to live this out, but the stuff over here has a bigger hold of your heart and you find yourself being sucked further and further back into this dominion of darkness and giving yourself over to the flesh and the power of the enemy. We think that once I give my life to Jesus, I'm over here and everything's smooth sailing. So I just need to pray a little bit, read my Bible a little bit, and everything will go the way it's supposed to go. But in reality, we stand here at the beginning and then it's like, oh, that person cut me off. Gonna deal with them over here. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to be like that. I'm supposed to be kind. Oh, I'm super horny. I know how to fix that. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm such a miserable sinner. I promise I'll never, ever do it again. And I'm actually over here going, I'm gonna work really hard to never, ever do it again because it's all about me, right? This is the way we end up living our Christian life. We are choosing every day, multiple times a day, to claim to be living in the kingdom of light, and yet we dwell in the dominion of darkness. What's the solution to this problem, right? The solution is the gospel. People are stuck in the dominion of darkness. They have no ability. They cannot overcome death. They cannot overcome the power of sin. They can muster every piece of energy they have, but they can only get so far in living a good and a kind life. They need the one person who came and died to atone for the sin of the world. He took sin upon himself. He took God's punishment for the world on him. And then he, said, and then he died a criminal's death. He was raised to the right hand of the father, vindicating him as an innocent man. He was placed at the right hand of father and the dominion of darkness was placed under his feet. That's what Ephesians says. All things, all rulers, powers, principalities were placed under his feet. And he's given this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so when we're in the dominion of darkness and we're stuck in our sin and we have no way and we find ourselves over and over being stuck in the same cycles of brokenness, we have the desire to live differently and we can't overcome it. The solution in scripture is we look to the one who saved us, the one who died for the sin of the world. We say, I'm gonna submit my life to you. I'm gonna die to my sin and brokenness. I'm gonna fall on my knees before you and I'm gonna choose to live your way. And the moment we do that, we confess our love for him. He picks us up from the dominion of darkness. He plants us in this kingdom where there's forgiveness, unlimited forgiveness. There's redemption, taking all of our brokenness and redeeming it for his kingdom. There's healing, there's wholeness, there's joy, there's self-control. What happens when it comes to the gospel is we, we, we know as believers that we need the gospel, but we misunderstand it. So for many of us, this is how we see the gospel, right? We see the gospel as entry into the kingdom of God. And so I live my life in the kingdom of darkness. And then here's the gospel. Jesus died for the sins of the world. If you confess that he's the Lord and that he took his sin up, uh, up, your sin upon himself, then you're saved. And now you're entered into the kingdom of, of heaven. And it's just an upward trajectory to Christ likeness for the rest of existence, right? That's the way most of us end up looking at the gospel. There's a second fallacy when it comes to the gospel. And it looks like this. This common misunderstanding says, yes, the gospel is our entry into our salvation journey, but the further towards Christ-likeness I walk, the less need I have for the cross because the holier I become. So I don't need the gospel as much as I mature because Jesus is ridding me of sin, 
And so now, now why do I have to cast myself on his forgiveness? Because there's nothing to forgive because I'm living a holier and holier life. So many people in the church view the gospel this way. They view the sanctification journey this way. What should it look like? It should look the exact opposite of that story. The Bible communicates it this way. The more we mature, the more we understand our need for the gospel in order to live the way that he calls us to live. The more we live in the kingdom of light, the more God deals, I mean, earlier on, he starts dealing with the big obvious sins in our life. And then the further toward Jesus we get, the more the subtle sins in our life become big deals. And we realize that it isn't just that, that, that I'm unkind to people. It isn't just that I'm stingy and hoard my money. It's that I have this sin thing at the core of my being that finds its value and its security and wealth. And then you begin realizing that at the core of all of this, there's pride. And the further toward Jesus I get, the more I realize the brokenness inside of me and how unable I am to overcome the sin that I walk in and how much more I need the gospel than I did at the start of the journey. The journey we're supposed to be walking in as the gospel increases as we grow in maturity. And for many of us, we sit in the church having walked with Jesus for a long time and we're looking at the world and judgment and going like the Pharisees, oh God, thank you that I'm not like those kinds of people. Like, I know the word, I've pursued it, I, I, I'm holy and I'm righteous. And then we, we sit in sloth and we hoard our resources and we criticize people and we look a lot more like Israel in the wilderness grumbling than we do the, the good news bringers of, 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 the new, of the New Testament, the gospel being brought to the people around us. I'm going to put five pictures up here, five problems that exist in our plan to try and deal with the problem, five problems that are, are five strategies that we have that we, the, the world and the church try to use to fix this problem. The first one, the first obstacle that we come up against is the straightforward one, right? Sin. In the dominion of darkness, you cannot defeat the power of sin. So that thing in you that drives you to brokenness cannot be defeated in this place. And this is the place where the flesh exists. Fortunately, the problem was overcome by this man who came and lived the perfect life, gave himself on behalf of the brokenness of the world and said, anyone who believes in me is rescued out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. So obvious, right? Obstacle number one, sin has to be defeated. Praise Jesus for defeating the power of sin and death and enabling us to have his inhabiting spirit that brings transformation in our lives. The second one, which is closely tied to that and the root of everything is this self-focus. These all begin with S. So the first one is sin. Second one is self, right? Pride turns us off of God and onto ourself. And pride is the thing that says, I can do this. I can fix it. I have the right words to speak to that person to make them stop their behavior. You do realize they're in the dominion of darkness and they're not going to have the ability to do it. But so often we turn our eyes off of him and we turn our eyes off of loving people and we turn our eyes on to self. And even in the pursuit of overcoming our sin, we can do it with our eyes fixed on us rather than on Jesus and his empowerment. Tied to that, the third one is secrecy. Our sin and our self-focus communicate this lie to us I can deal with this brokenness thing. No one else needs to know about it. 
Anyone done this? Oh, I just did that thing again. I'm not going to tell my people because what will they think of me if they know I just did that last night? So we choose to live in hiddenness. And secrecy is the very place where our sin has its power. The dominion of darkness is a place of fear and shame and secrecy. The kingdom of the sun is a place of grace and forgiveness and openness and freedom. Every time you or I wrestle with a sin issue and choose to keep it secret, we're making the decision to pursue our spirituality right from within the realm of the dominion of darkness. And we abdicate, I guess we abdicate our own authority that Jesus has given us as his co-regent in the kingdom of the Son. We abdicate this authority and we give complete ownership to the powers of darkness to have their weight in our life. And that's why we can never overcome our sin and brokenness by pretending it doesn't exist and hiding it from the people around us. Your sin will thrive in the place of secrecy. Number four is striving. Just try harder. Right? When you're driving down the street this time, just, just try harder to be nice. Just try harder to read your Bible more. Memorize scripture and just like, you've got this. Like forgiveness is hard. You're over here and Jesus is convicted of your heart. You need to forgive that person. You're like, yeah, I do. Okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> this is a place of surrender, right? Rather than striving, we're saying, rather than I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to fix this issue, we say, Jesus, I don't have the power to do this thing. For so long, I have fooled myself into believing I can fix my brokenness and the brokenness of the world. I need the gospel. Would you re-save me today? Would you re-deliver me from my sin today? Would you re-empower me to overcome the things that are plaguing me? We get stuck in this place of striving, just try harder. Number five, stagnation. Sometimes we don't even try harder, we just lay down on the couch and pretend the world doesn't exist. Sometimes we try harder and harder and harder and then we give up. But ultimately we reach this point where it's like, you know, I'm fine the way I am. I've earned my stripes. I've pursued Jesus long enough. I've guarded my tongue long enough. I can say whatever I want to whoever I want to and they just have to deal with it. We just give up on trying to become like Jesus. We stagnate. You cannot stagnate over here. If you're a place looking at your spirituality and going, I'm just kind of plodding along. I'm not sharing the gospel with anyone you tend to be over here, right? Plodding along is something that happens in the dominion of darkness. Richard Foster, a great spiritual writer, he describes it this way. Our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. We rely on our willpower and determination. Whatever the issue for us may be, anger, bitterness, gluttony, pride, sexual lust, alcohol, fear, we determine never to do it again. We pray against it, fight against it, set our will against it, 
but it's all in vain. And we find ourselves once again morally bankrupt, or worse yet, so proud of our external righteousness that white sepulchers or white tombstones is a mild description of our condition. The moment we feel we can succeed and attain victory over our sin by the strength of our will alone is the moment we are worshipping our will. You can worship Jesus or you can worship anything else. So what's the cure? How do we overcome the problem? Let's look back at what Paul said to the Ephesian church. He said, as for you, dead in your transgressions and sin, following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, gratifying the desires of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts by nature, deserving of wrath. Um, With the book group that we've got going on here, we've been reading through a series of books. Anyone's welcome to join at any point. But this last month, we read the autobiography um, called The Story of a Soul, which is the story of St. Teresa of Lisieux, who was a, a young gal who at 15 became a nun and devoted her life to Jesus. And she, in, in, in being in a convent and trying to pursue Christ-likeness, she, she was, like her autobiography is a lot of her wrestling. I'm called to like l- these lofty goals of sainthood. I'm supposed to live Christ-like and honor him with my life. And that goal is just too high. I can never attain it. Poor little, she calls herself little Therese. She's like, poor little Therese. Like, I will never be able to attain it. What's the, wh- what can help me? I need something that can help me get from here to there and attain that goal. If only there was an elevator that would lift me f- up from the despair of my sin into a place of sainthood. If only there was an elevator that could lift me out of despair. And she has this revelation moment. That elevator is the arms of Jesus. So I can sit in this place and I can strive and I can try and be like the other nuns and I can try and live like the saints of the past and I can look at the commands of the Bible and I can fight really hard to try and get there or I can choose the arms of Jesus and cast myself and all my brokenness on him and allow him to lift me up to this place of the lofty heights of sainthood, we need an elevator. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. The passage goes on. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were dead, but we've been made alive. Not just made alive, but seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Like, I come back to this verse all the time, right? Jesus came, he died in our place. He was raised to the right hand of the Father, which is the the throne room place. And in this place, 
Everything, all the dominion of darkness and all of the kingdom of the world was placed under his feet. And scripture says then he took us and he didn't just place us down here in the kingdom. He places us on the throne with Jesus. With all the powers of darkness under our feet. The next time you're wrestling with anger, remind yourself, I'm seated on the throne with Christ. I have full access to all of his resources. Ephesians 1 says in that place, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies at our fingertips. I had a conversation this week um, with a group of people going through a study. Uh, and one of the, we we're talking about mission and evangelism. And one of the questions was, Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then he says to us, so go. And he delegates authority to us. How would you live differently today if you truly believed that all authority in heaven and earth was yours? And that when you prayed, God would move. And then when you preached the gospel, people would come to salvation. How would you live differently? We are seated on the throne and in that place is freedom. In that place is wholeness. In that place is joy. In that place is an overwhelming spring of life bursting through us rather than having to live in defeat and in loneliness and fear and struggle. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, there's this moment in Luke chapter 9. What does the path look like as we try and walk this way out of our vices and into the virtues? What about you, he asked to Peter. Who do you say I am? As a bunch of people round about were debating who Jesus was. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone and he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. What's the way? The way of the kingdom of, the way of the dominion of darkness is it's about me and my way and I will do the things that I have set before me the way I want to do them. The way of the kingdom of the sun, this is why we don't like it, right? This is why we struggle because this is a way of death. This is a way of denying self. This is a way of laying down who we are and what we want at the feet of Jesus. One way that we live in the world is like, you know, I don't want to be generous because I need my savings and I'm working toward retirement and I want to buy a new car and I want a Traeger and I've got plans for like uh, building a deck in the backyard and so I've got to work really hard to make sure I have those things. Jesus is saying here, if if that's what you're building, lose it all. But if you're willing to lay that stuff down and walk in the way of generosity, then you'll get that and more. Is the command, are you willing to put yourself to death? We have to take the posture of Jesus. This image, I had this on my computer for years um, as a spiritual discipline to remind myself. The world tells us we gotta be strong and have it all together. This picture is the picture of strength. This is the strongest moment of Jesus' whole ministry as he willfully 
stays on a cross knowing that he had the power to take himself down, knowing that he could have commanded an angel and they would have come and rescued him and ministered to him, knowing that he could have had all the praise of the world without the cross, but he chose to stay there because he knew the result of it. And we are invited to take on that posture. So we have to allow the gospel to grow in our lives. When it comes to our battle against the vices, we don't want to sit there feeling defeated. But we do want to continue to examine where are these things present in our life and allow the gospel to become bigger. Because we need the cross the most when we feel most powerless. And we feel most powerless when we're stuck in our sin, when things aren't going the way that we want to, when we're suffering. Those are the very moments that purify and sanctify and heal us. We have to rest in the arms of Jesus. If you've not started watching the series, The Chosen, yet, uh, if you can do one thing in the next month over Easter to deepen your love for Jesus, jump online, Google The Chosen. This is a beautiful series that depicts Jesus in the most wonderful way. Um, the relationship of joy and intimacy and freedom that we are invited into. So we've done a series looking at all these vices. The end could be, so now go and try harder. Identify the vices, work really hard to get rid of them. We give you lots of suggestions every week for some disciplines that you can walk into and we can do all of those to no avail. So we want to end by just saying this is another moment to come to Jesus. And for some of you in the room, you, Jesus isn't your Lord. For some people sitting here, like, you know, you're stuck in your brokenness. You try hard to get out of it, and it's to no avail. Uh, you look at the things that the Bible promises, and they're appealing, but you look at the demands that it makes of us, and they're difficult, and we say, I don't know. But just know that without the gospel, you'll never be able to be the person that you were called to be. So for some of you, in the moment, uh, it's an invitation for you to say, for the first time, Jesus, I need you. For the rest of us, if you're already walking with Jesus, this is a come to Jesus moment. Like, it's another moment in your journey to say, God, I don't have the capacity to live the way I need to. We can name all the things that we do wrong that stand in the way of that. Jesus, would you take me in your arms and would you lift me to sainthood and I'll do everything I can that's within my ability to continue to die to self so that I can partner with you in the work that you're calling me to do. So let's, uh, I just want to take a moment to, to respond. So if you're, if you're here um, and you're not walking with Jesus, let me do this. Close your eyes. And this is just a, we do this just to uh, care for people in the room. Just keep your eyes closed. If you're here and Jesus is not yours, you've not committed your life to him. And you're looking at the, the brokenness of the world and you're looking at your inability to become what you want to be. And you're hearing the promise that he offers and you're saying, I want that. Um, and you want to say, Jesus, like I'm done trying to do it my way. I want to do it your way. Um, just stick your hand up in the air. And let us know. I'd love to have a couple of people pray for you. God, thank you for the people who put up their hands. God, this is what it's all about. 
It's about being yours. God, we're stuck and we're broken and the world is desperately in need of the hope of the gospel. And so God, thank you for rescuing people from the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of the son that you love. God, thank you that at that moment we confess our trust in you, that your spirit fills us and then gives us the power to live differently in the world. So God, would you empower these people to live your way uh, for your glory. Now for other people in the room, uh, maybe you're pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly and you're like, this message is old news and that's fine. But if you're here and you're going, yeah, like I find myself sticking my foot back in the dominion of darkness and I want to get myself back firmly in the kingdom of the sun and place myself on this elevator, the arms of Jesus. We want to revisit the gospel again today. If that's you, just stand up. God, we need you. God, we need the gospel to be elevated in our eyes. Thank you for the honesty of people who realize their brokenness, who realize the way they depend on self to try and live your way. God, I just applaud their, uh, their boldness and courage uh, in this moment. God, we need you. Why don't the rest of you stand and join? Everyone stand on your feet. God, we are uh, we're stuck in these patterns and we don't want to be there. God, would you continue the work of setting us free? God, would you replace our pride with humility? Would you help us to understand the authority that we have in Jesus? Would you help us to die daily to ourselves and to walk in the way of your spirit? And God, would you help us to fall back in love with what you've done and who you are so that we're compelled to look at the brokenness of the world with compassion and to offer them the life and the hope that you offered to us. So God, we stand together in an act of solidarity. We are yours. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So take a minute, turn to the person next to you. Uh, what's one thing that is ministering to you this morning? A uh, quick prayer and then we'll worship.